there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. You must have heard the esoteric babble. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. You've heard that, right? And the reason we believe it is because we know it's not true. You don't have to believe the truth. If you know it's the truth, you don't have to believe it, do you? But if you don't know it's the truth, then you have to believe it. So when you say, I believe it, what you're saying is, I don't know it's the truth. And the reason you don't know it's the truth is because you seek and you don't find, and you knock and it's not open to you, and you ask and you haven't received. Isn't that true? No. So every time you've ever asked, you've always received. And every time you've always knocked, it's always been open to you. And every time you've always, right? So all of that's true, right? No. Well, then what are you saying? I believe no and no. So both the questions I asked you is no and no. So yes, I believe, but no. It's always that way. Every time I knock, it's opened. Every time I ask, I receive. Every time I seek, I find. But you say, no, that's not true. Well, then how can it be that for everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened? You have just proved that that's not true. But yet, we believe that it is true. So what does that mean? It could be true, but it's not true. Right. And see, this is the problem with belief. Belief obfuscates what's so. You cannot see what's true. You cannot see what's real. You cannot see your hand in front of your face if you have belief between your hand and your eyes. You must remove belief first. And it's why in this work, one of the things that Ospensky said, and I, I imagine that Gurdjieff said it as well, but one of the things that they teach is don't believe anything, verify it. Now, of course, there's a limit to that. They also ask you to believe things. Because you have to believe something. You have to believe there's a possibility for you to be something other than what you are. You have to believe that in order to do this work. If you don't believe that, you won't do anything. So if this is true, why is it so hard to get from here to there psychologically, spiritually, internally? If it's true that all you have to do is seek, all you have to do is knock, all you have to do is ask. If that's true, then why is it so hard? Have you noticed that you ask for something and you don't get it? Have you noticed that you seek for something and you don't find it? Have you noticed that it's difficult? Good. That's a good thing. At least you've noticed that. Because imagination supplants reality. This is why we have to believe. Because imagination supplants reality. And imagination and belief work hand in hand. So they work together. No one ever prepared for and made a journey to get to where he already was. Have you ever packed your bags and gotten everything together to go home to your address when you were already there? No. You won't do that, will you? People who do that, we think, have some kind of a problem. And they may actually have some kind of a problem. They don't know where they're at. Just because we don't pack our bags to go somewhere where we already are doesn't mean we don't have a problem and doesn't mean we know where we're at. It just means we imagine that we know where we are when the fact is we really don't. But we can believe something that isn't true. Would you give me that, that we can believe something that isn't true? I mean, after all, we believe that ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened to you. We believe that or we don't believe that. 
you don't believe that, you're a little closer to being able to understand it. If you believe it, that puts you leagues away from it because you now have something in your imagination that will prevent you, that will supplant the reality of the situation. It's not only a matter of never attaining real eye, this imagination. It doesn't just block us from attaining real eye. It stops anything and everything real from ever coming into our consciousness, from ever being manifest for us. In other words, as long as we're in our imagination, as long as we believe something and we imagine that it's so, we will never find out what is actually so. Even if it is actually so, even if, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you, even if that is true, as long as we believe it, we'll never know it. We'll never know it directly. We'll never understand it fully because our belief comes from imagination, the imagination that, yes, I always, because I asked him when I first asked him. So every time you seek, you find. Every time you ask, you receive. Yes, he said. And I said, every time. And so it's never, well, no. Well, okay, there have been maybe a couple of times. And as the belief is stripped away, you'll find that not only have there been maybe a couple of times, but your life is completely unsatisfactory because you don't get hardly anything you ask for. You don't find anything you look for. And hardly anything you knock at is open to you. It's just the opposite. So it's difficult for us to see that because then we think it means something. See, that's what we always want to do with the truth. We always want to make the truth mean something. We want to apply it to our system and say, well, that's why this is happening and that's why that's happening. It's God's fault. It's the universe's fault. We're looking for someone to blame because it couldn't possibly be our fault because we've already examined ourselves and we know that that we're fine. Or we know that there's nothing we can do about it, so then the universe should make allowances for our weaknesses and for our shortcomings. (laughs) When we imagine we're in a state, we imagine that we have all that state possesses. Do you know what supplant means? Supplant means to supersede and replace. To supersede, to go above, super above. To supersede, to go above, to replace, so that it is more than that. When the imagination takes over from reality, it gives us more than reality gives us. What reality gives us is a lot of work to do on ourselves. What imagination gives us is no work to do on ourselves. Everybody else needs to do the work. They are the problem, not us. So it supersedes reality. It replaces reality. And it does it beautifully. When we wonder if a person is good or bad, kind or unkind, sincere or insincere. We've got to learn to recognize that that is a sign of imaginary I working in us. So if you look at a person and you see a contradiction in that person, you see that that person says one thing but does another, that needs to be a sign to you. That needs to be a trigger, a flag to you that imaginary I is now at work in you, that you are imagining that you are one. Why would you be imagining that you're one if you're looking at someone else and realizing that they aren't sincere or that, or that they said one thing and then did another or that they're unkind and you didn't expect them to be? You were surprised by that. Why is imaginary I at work in you if you can see that in someone else? Because you think they're one is a sign that you have taken it for granted. You have imagined that you are one. No matter how long we've been involved with esoteric ideas, with this work, with anything like it, we continue to imagine we are a single I, always the same. It's the first thing we learn and the first thing we forget. It's the first thing we learn and so it's elementary. We forget it and we imagine that now that we've learned it, we are one and we don't have to think about that anymore. Now the only thing we have to do is enlighten other people that they're not one. This is the trap that we walk into with esoteric teachings because imaginary eye leads us into it. 
because it's much more simple to imagine than it is to observe reality because there are so many things that stand in the way of the observation of reality. And all of those things belong to us. All of those things belong to imaginary I. And belief is one of them, at least that kind of belief. It's important that you know, if you take a stand on something, it's good to take a stand on something, even if you're wrong. It's good to take a stand because that's the only way to be corrected. If you don't take a stand, if you stay wishy-washy, then how can you be corrected? Any more than you could pick up a jellyfish. It's not very easy to do. But take something with an ectoskeleton or a skeleton and you know, an internal skeleton and it's much easier to pick it up. Something without a skeletal system is very difficult to pick up. It's just gloopy. Gloopy, I guess that's a word. It wasn't, it is now. Because language is a living thing. Because we have one mouth, we imagine there's always one eye talking out of it, behaving in the same way. We're so shocked when we find ourselves behaving in some way other than the way we think we always behave. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that you get angry and you're shocked by it? Until you realize that the other person made you angry? That you really had no choice about it? That that really made you mad? Then it's not so shocking. Well, of course, that would make anyone mad. That would make anyone angry. This work says that people who imagine they have a permanent eye actually have imaginary eye. That the eye that they have is not permanent at all. The only permanence about it is that it's always imaginary. And this is what imaginary eye gives us in place of permanence. It gives us the illusion of consistency. Imagination works in all centers, supplanting what is or could be real. So Every center, your intellectual center, your emotional center, your moving center, your sex center, your instinctive center, all of these centers, imagination enters in and supplants any possibility of reality. It replaces it so that you never have to deal with reality in any of those centers. You never have to deal with the reality of your body in the instinctive center. Your instinctive center says stop eating, but you can imagine that you're still hungry and you'll keep eating. You can imagine that if you don't eat, you're going to die. You can imagine that if you don't get what you want, that you will be malnourished and you will get sick. Now, all of this is imagination that has supplanted the reality of the instinctive center that knows when you should stop. But you have, because that has been replaced, the reality of the instinctive center has been replaced by imagination, you don't know when to stop now. You don't know what to eat and what not to eat now. You don't know how to choose a diet that will be good for you. You don't know how to do exercise that will be good for you. Instead, what you know is imagination. And the imagination has completely supplanted the reality of the instinctive center. And the only way for the instinctive center to gain control is to knock you out. You can imagine that you can hold your breath longer than anyone else in the world and then go down into the pool and hold your breath and imagine that you're just going to be able to hold your breath forever. But your instinctive center will put you out to get air. You can imagine that you can do all kinds of things, but you can't do them. And your instinctive center knows the reality of your limitations, but your imagination has replaced that. That's just one example. Emotional, you think you can handle something emotionally. Intellectually, you think you can understand something. You think you do understand something. And the reality of it is you don't, but your imagination has replaced that reality with this illusion. Imagination works in all centers, supplanting what is or could be real, and it is false personality's most effective tool. Your ego, your false personality, your this identity that you have wrapped around yourself like a cloak uses imagination to keep you away from reality, to keep you from seeing, understanding, facing reality. So why is it so hard? This is why it's so hard, because this work that we are doing is about destroying illusions about ourselves 
And the last thing that we want destroyed about ourselves is the illusions. We love our illusions. We love our imagination. We love our negative emotions. We must have them because it's too hard to face reality after you have lived your life in imagination. After you have lived your life imagining what you look like, looking in the mirror is harsh. We don't like it. One of the great things I've noticed about getting older is that now that I need reading glasses, now that my eyes don't focus as well as they did when I was younger, and I need reading glasses because my eyes won't focus close, I notice that if I don't have my glasses on and I get close to somebody's face, they look a lot younger and softer. But if I happen to be reading and uh, my wife comes to kiss me and I look up and I have my reading glasses on, I'm shocked by whose face is there. I see that face and I go, well, that's a different face than the one I see without the glasses. Because I can see all of the lines that I can't see without the glasses. It's so hard because destroying illusions about ourselves is a very painful experience. And what makes that experience painful? Self-love. Just that simple self-love. We love ourselves. We value ourselves. We think very highly of ourselves. And so anything that shows us something that is not valuable, not lovable, not wonderful, must be difficult. And that is where imagination comes in. It keeps us in this place where we don't have to deal with the difficult, where we don't have to face the reality, because it's all been replaced by imagination. Can you see something that's not there? Absolutely. Read some of the uh, insurance companies' reports on automobile accidents. It's absolutely amazing. I was driving across the street, and a car came out of nowhere and hit me. The reality of this is that cars can't come out of nowhere. But we can't say, I was driving along, and I wasn't paying attention, and I didn't look, and I didn't see the car that hit me. Instead, we say it came out of nowhere, because it was going too fast, because it was too dark, because of this, it didn't have its lights on, because of this, because of that. We have all these other reasons, excuses, and lies that the imagination comes up with, so that we don't have to face the reality that I wasn't there, I wasn't aware, I was not in the moment doing what I needed to do. Anything but face that truth. And yet, this work is all about destroying illusions about ourselves. And that is an illusion. The illusion that you're awake all the time, the illusion that you're one permanent I, is just that. It's an illusion. It's not true. And the idea of facing that is fine, theoretically, but bit by bit, it's unbearable. The world enables us to build illusions about ourselves. An imaginary eye is the result. There's a conspiracy. The whole world is in this conspiracy together to build this illusion. The world is built on illusions. Connie and I were talking the other day and she said something about money and I said, she said that it wasn't a good idea to invest in this or wasn't a good idea better to keep your money. I said, that's ridiculous. There is no such thing as money. All it is is an idea. It's not real. There's nothing behind it. It's a Federal Reserve note. It used to be a silver certificate. Before that, there used to be gold pieces and silver pieces that actually were something. Now, all it is is a promissory note. It's the government promising that if you go to them and say, I want something for this, they promise that they'll give you something for it. They promise that it's worth something. When you stop believing that, when your imagination stops working on that, you will see that it's nothing. It is not worth the paper and the ink and the electricity and the labor that it took to print it. But we don't know that because this conspiracy of imagination is so complete. These illusions are so complete and we're addicted to them now. The first illusion that esoteric teachings go after is that we have a real unvarying permanent eye. 
the very first thing that esoteric teachings target. You are not one. You have no will. You are not conscious. And this slaps imagination so hard that imagination recovers with allowing it. It's like water. Imagination absorbs the shock and then comes back and fills the place where the shock hit. And what does it fill it with? More imagination. And we go right back to sleep. When we begin to realize this is an illusion, that we have a real, unvarying, permanent I, we start moving in the direction that the work leads us. The journey to find real I has begun. Those who cannot be led, cannot receive, cannot find. They can seek, they can ask, they can knock all day long. But if they cannot be led, they cannot receive, they cannot find, they cannot have it open to them. When you don't get what it is you've asked for, what you've sought, what you've knocked for, it's because you will not be led. You will not allow the work to replace imagination with reality in some area. You don't want to face the truth. And because you don't want to face the truth, and what you've asked for is the truth, you cannot see it. So it all always comes back to us. Yes, I'm almost infamous for saying now. I get emails, and as you say, it always comes back to us. And I do say that, and because, and because it does always come back to us. There isn't anyone else. It is I and I alone. Fortunately, I am not alone because there are probably hundreds of thousands of me, which is fine if you like big crowds. <laughs> Our power lies in the value of I. There is a value that we assign, the value of I. We assign that value to different eyes that are using our mouths at different moments. Now, what that means is when some I in me, some minor, insignificant, little, unintelligent I that doesn't understand really anything, but it gets hold of my mouth and it starts talking, rather than saying, what is that? I take the value of I and I assign it to that little I. And it's not even I take the value of I. It's mechanically done. The value of I is just assumed by this little negative I that maybe gets the mouth once every 10 years. But it is the king for the day, the king for the moment. And it's going to take full advantage of that. So our power lies in this valuation of I. Now, the funny thing is it's taken by both speaker and hearer as one eye speaking. Someone out there starts to talk. We take that as, well, that's Lori speaking. Well, that's Patty speaking. Well, that's Rex speaking. Well, that's Jess speaking. Well, that's Curtis speaking. We take that as that person speaking. And that is all illusion. That is all imaginary. But what about if you listened to what, some, what was coming out of someone's mouth and said to yourself, I wonder what eye that is. I wonder what I is speaking now. But you would have to be aware that that is how you are. And if you're not aware that that's how you are, you can't be aware that that's how other people are. Wednesday night someone said that they didn't know if someone was a good person or a bad person, if they could be trusted or they could not be trusted. And I said that's because you do not know that you are not one. And I'm not sure they followed that. But when you don't know you are many, that you are a multiplicity, that you don't have a permanent, unvarying I, a real I, when you don't know that, you think that everyone has what you imagine you have. You think, well, there it is. I mean, it's her. I can see her. Anybody can hear what's coming out of her mouth. Ask anybody here, and here's where the conspiracy is. Ask anyone here, and they'll all agree that person is talking. And when we say that person, we mean whatever one individual thing we call that person truth is, there's not one individual unvarying I. The amount of human misery that this generates is staggering. Think about it for a moment. 
the power of valuation, valuing, giving some I, value. That power is being usurped and used against us by imaginary I. Imaginary I is taking that power of valuation and it is ascribing it to every single insignificant I that comes up and takes control. And how does it take control? It takes control by being triggered by some event. Illusion opens the door to fear, to suspicion, rejection, survival, and all kinds of other forms of separation that breed misunderstanding and violence. When you are afraid, when you are suspicious, which of course is the same thing, when you feel rejected, when you feel afraid and that your survival is threatened, all of these are forms of fear, and fear is separation. It means you do not realize that the you, the I, that you are calling I is not all there is. You think that that's it. This is it. This is all there is. You're not aware that that's not all there is. You're not aware that there are thousands of other eyes in you. And the reason we're so afraid of separation is because we're so fragmented. Because there are so many thousands of eyes in us that we don't recognize, that we will not acknowledge, that we will not face. Because imagination gives us supposed luxury of not facing these eyes, not facing the reality. Because imagination has supplanted or replaced reality in all of the centers. We operate under this supposed luxury and we don't have to face the contradictions. In the grip of imaginary eye, we think others are one and we require consistency of them without question. Well, you said as if they couldn't change their mind like you do every 15 nanoseconds, as if somehow they are held to a different law than you hold yourself to. And that is exactly what it is. They are held to a different law than you hold yourself to. You could be a politician. You hold yourself to a different standard of laws than you hold the other people to. The senator goes and gets caught drunk driving, and it's like, oh, it's okay, senator. You know, We understand it's a tough job. You get caught drunk driving, and it is a tough job. It's a tough job to get out of jail. Besides, you shouldn't be drinking and driving anyway. They fail to meet our requirements, and we judge them and separate from them to protect ourselves. Someone doesn't meet your requirements. That one person over there doesn't meet your requirements. They're not consistent. Then you judge them for that. Then you separate yourself from them so that you can protect yourself. Because if they're not consistent, they can't be trusted. They can say, oh, yes, you're my friend. But then 10 minutes later, there was someone else, and they're backstabbing you. They can't be trusted. You see how this works? The self that we protect is imaginary I. Unless we begin to see the different eyes that speak in our name, we'll never, ever change. It's impossible to change without first undermining imaginary I. This is the first thing that has to happen, and this is why esoteric teachings always go after this first. Real I has no illusions. There are no illusions to real I. It has none. Because it's real, it only sees what's real. And it sees what's real. So if imaginary I is what someone is manifesting, it sees that. It sees that that is not real. As we are, one eye may promise something, but the next eye that's called into action by circumstances knows nothing of the promise or doesn't agree with it. I don't, I'm not going to do that. But you said you would. No, I didn't. Well, somebody using your mouth did. Well, it wasn't me. Do you know this one? You can, can you hear this in your own head? Good. But you said you were going on, on a diet. You said you weren't going to eat. You said you weren't going to do that. But things have changed now. That's right. Things have changed. There's some other eye in control. That's what's changed. But we don't see it that way. We say, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Actually, the truth is, some other eye is in control now. How am I going to find, out of all those thousands, out of that horde, out of that multitude of eyes, how am I going to find the one that promised that it wouldn't eat that? How am I going to do that? Who'd want to? 
When this other eye is in control, it is king. It runs everything. What it says goes. It says, I want that. It's there. Take it, put it in your mouth and just shut up all those other eyes. And how do you shut up all those eyes? Put it in your mouth. Now it's over. Now they can't do anything. You do the deed. <laughs> you do the deed and it shuts up all the other eyes. All they can do now is say, well, you said blah, 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 blah. And you just say, shut up and you throw some more food down on it until you finally bury it under an avalanche of calories. Between these different eyes are partitions or buffers which prevent us from seeing our contradictions, but interestingly enough, not those of others. Our buffers only and our partitions only keep us from seeing our own contradictions. But we can see other people's contradictions perfectly. And we go on the attack. We go on the attack because we're not like them, because we can see that we're not like them and that they should change. So we judge them, attack them, separate from them, diminish them, and make ourselves greater than we actually are, which of course feeds imaginary I even more. We always wish to begin at the end rather than the beginning. When we work for results, we hobble ourselves. We always want to start at the end. We, nobody, nobody wants to start at the beginning. Nobody wants to start at, I'm not one. Everybody wants to start at, I have real I. Everybody wants to start there. Okay, now I'm aware, now I have real I, now I'm conscious. Everyone wants to start there. That's why everyone works for results. The problem is that in working for results, we again give more power to imaginary I. Because the only way to get results from here are to imagine them. Because the only result we're going to get for a very, very, very long time is very distasteful. And we don't like that. So we imagine that we're getting results. We imagine that we're one. We imagine that we're at peace. We imagine this and we imagine, we imagine all these things we read about. It's funny to me, people who use this imagination thing, they have this thing going on where they talk about, oh, imagination, you know, it's, it's probably just imagination. Are you doing the work? Well, I don't know. It's probably all just imagination. And of course... They hobble themselves by imagining that they're not working when they are. And then they hobble themselves by imagining that they are working when they're not. And that's all about results. Do you see if you cast results out, that it doesn't matter whether you imagine you're working or you actually are working? If you take as your ground of being, the I that I have is imaginary I. If you take that as your ground of being, if you take that as always the truth about you, then when you work, you will be working on that. And your work will be work. If you're working on something else, I don't know what to tell you. So don't begin by asking what real I is. The smart way to work is by constantly beginning with the plain fact that you don't have it. Always start from the plain fact that you do not have real I. If you have real I, you're lost. If you're on this planet and you have real I, you're lost. Because you will not admit that it is imaginary I. Illusion comes from the false personality trying to establish as reality what it has acquired, what it thinks it is, imaginary I. Its fear is that its unreality will be discovered in the light of what is real. Reality is the enemy of illusion. Illusions are safety devices to the false personality and therefore to you because you are the false personality. This whole fear thing that we end up with is something that needs to be worked on because fear comes from illusion. And so when you find yourself afraid, you need to understand that you're in illusion. You are in illusion. You are in imagination because that's the only place to fear is in imagination. This from a book that I recently read, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Think about it. Think about the danger of fear.
because it's the danger of illusion. And understand that an illusion is something that isn't. It isn't real. So therefore, when you turn to see inside, when you turn your inner eye to see where fear has passed, you will notice that there's nothing there. And the reason there's nothing there is because it's not real. The only way to disarm fear is by seeing reality. Esoteric teachings lead in that direction, but our resistance is fear-based and first must be removed or we cannot move in that direction. You must be willing to give up your resistance to reality, your resistance to seeing the truth about yourself and about your world. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at solidrockvista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.